0: Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 63, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. Hey folks, welcome episode 63. It is an absolute bumper of a show as we have Chris Robshaw, newly announced San Diego Legion signing, joining the show, as well as the one and only queen of the sidelines for Major League Rugby, Stacey Pates, who joins us right now alongside Pete Steinberg. Pete, I'm going to put you uh, into second place here. Sorry, Stacey always comes to Stacy, Stacey, <laughs> Hello. how are you, my friend?
1: Oh, my goodness. I'm so happy to be with you guys. I've been petitioning to be on this show for months. What is this, episode 63? 62 episodes I've been petitioning to be on, so I'm glad that my letters- We have haven't had you on through. before, not even no, one time. No, not even one time. It's rude is what it is.
0: Every week well, in Dan, a talent Dan. meeting, Pete's like, I will never let her on the show. She shines too bright. My candles don't shine with her
2: around. Oh, so there so you nice. go.
1: That's so nice. Yeah, I mean, that's,
2: that's exactly how it goes. It's not like, it's, you know, it's not Dan who's on every podcast you can possibly follow right. on rugby right now. I mean, right. It's like ubiquitous.
1: Oh my goodness. So, I'm, just, I'm so happy to be with you guys and hear your voices in my ear. It's like I'm home. It feels so good.
0: Well, usually this well, time of year, we're sick of each other, aren't we? We've just finished the season and we've been
2: traveling all over the country together. I, I, and again, like, Dan, I, mean, I, think that I, I, think, I think we call that projection. Okay. <laughs> so, so Stacey and I are happy to see each other again.
1: Absolutely. You may,
2: you, We may be sick of you, which I think is the projection <laughs> piece. So, But no, it, it is true for, for those maybe new to Major League Rugby and tuning in for the first time, um, Dan, Stacey and myself are often the team for the CBS Game of the Week. Um, We've done many, many games together. Um, We all uh, got to meet Stacy during uh, season one, which I think, Dan, we're gonna talk a little bit later And Stacey is our erstwhile sideline reporter who brings a bit of professionalism to the rugby knowledge. Just a tiny
1: bit. Just a tiny bit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The old fishing tales. Well, Stacey, (laughs) glad to have you with us as always. And we're going to do a thorough catch up with you in just a moment. But first, we're going to welcome in our guest, former England captain and new San Diego Legion player, Chris Robshaw, who sat down with Pete and myself earlier today. And we are joined now by former England captain and current Harlequin star and soon to be San Diego Legion star, Chris Robshaw. Chris, firstly, mate, appreciate you taking the time to join the show. And uh, we, my, myself, uh, very excited to see you over in the US next year. How are things currently for you in the UK? And uh, looking forward to the returning of Premiership Rugby,
3: I guess. Yeah, good to see you guys. Um... Yeah, look, I'm excited to be getting over there. Excited for that kind of fresh challenge. Um, for me, at the moment, we're we're kind of in this this kind of almost post-lockdown. We're not quite out of it yet, but we're we're kind of moving that way. Shops, restaurants, bars, all that on are starting to open up, um, and they're kind of are things week on week. So, as long as we don't have a second spike, hopefully, we'll gradually pull our way through this. In terms of training perspective, yeah, I get to finish the season with Harlequins, which I'm very much looking forward to. Uh, We're at stage two, which basically means we can start to do tackling with each other and and basically a bit more hands-on work. Whereas in the first week, we were kind of running up and down the pitch. We were doing weights in our own section. Um, We were playing touch, actually, with, you know, those foam noodles you swim with? So the defender had to have them, <laughs> yeah. and we were kind of running around with them. And of course, you've got most guys doing it kind of properly, and then you've got some guys just holding the end and just whipping someone and saying, I've got you, and you're like three metres away. Um, so, yeah, so there's been a bit of fun and a bit of kind of uh, initiative used by the coaches, I think, to try and get us out there. But, yeah, look, we, we hope to be playing again mid-August. Unfortunately, I don't think there'll be any crowds there for well, for the start anyway. Um, we're pretty, pretty loaded up with midweek games and weekend games. So it's going to be a real test of people's squads. Um, and then, yeah, a little bit of time off and then get over to the States in probably end of December, January time.
2: So let's talk about you coming to the States. There's been some rumours for a while. There's a rumour of Rooney and that you've been connected with Rooney, and then, you know, obviously now it's the Legion. So talk a little bit about how the first discussion about coming and playing in Major League Rugby started, and then how you ended up at the Legion.
3: Yeah, I no, don't, I don't want to go in with, into who, who we spoke to, who we didn't speak to, all this kind of stuff. But for, for me, it was uh, coming to a new and exciting league, coming to a league where there's probably not as many games as there are over here, I mean, I think over there, they play a maximum in the States, a maximum of 15 games. Whereas over here, we're playing 30, 35 games a season. And that, that season's going for 11 months, including preseason. So it's, it's very kind of, um, it, it's, it's pretty tough, both physically and mentally. And for me personally, me and my wife are thinking, we've, we've done this for a long time. We've had this challenge here. It was just having a bit of freshness while I'm still playing well, while I'm still playing 80 minutes every week, um, and while we could look for some opportunities to not only play in a new league and an exciting league, but in a new environment, a new culture, um, a new society, so to speak. I mean, I'm, I'm born and raised in London, uh, which is an incredible city, but I hear Southern California is not a bad place to live either.
2: <laughs> it's not. As someone that has spent some time in San Diego, um, I think describing it as not a bad place to live is probably a good way of, uh, of, of describing it. Did you, um, when, when this opportunity came up and you first started talking about Major League Rugby, did you reach out to anyone that you knew about the league? Um, have you like, reached out about anyone about San Diego? Like, how was, what was your research to work out whether this was the right move for you?
3: Yes, yeah, so of course, speaking to the likes of Alex Corbusero, who is um, quite big on the American side now, uh, played with him with England, played against him with, with Queens of Northampton, and the Vampton, the Saints, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I know him relatively well, speaking to him, uh, speaking to Darren Gardner, the owner, uh, or one of the owners, uh, about what they're trying to do, what they're trying to build. Um, but also speaking to a lot of people who who've just been to the city. I've never actually been to San Diego. I've been to kind of LA and San Francisco. So I've done a bit of California, uh, but I've never actually been to San Diego. But everyone I spoke to didn't say a bad word about it. Um, and I think with that type of thing, of course, going somewhere completely new, I've been, like I said, here my whole life. So to go somewhere like that now is, it's exciting. There's a little bit of fear factor, of course, because you're starting fresh. You don't, it's a bit of the unknown. It's exciting. Um, and you just want to get out there and get stuck in but yeah I, I spoke to a lot of people who had more visited the place and what the city was like all this kind of stuff uh, Darren filled me in a lot with the rugby we've got a guy called Paul Lezique, um, the USA number 12 um, he plays at Harlequins with us he's a complete wrecking ball on the pitch but he has the voice of an angel of it yeah. um, and it's quite a, quite a different dimension and speaking to him about America the rugby kind of what to expect all this and yeah, a lot of good works. And, of course, Ben Foden as well, who's over there in New York.
0: Yeah, Chris, you had, obviously, a, a great international career to run alongside your Quinns career. 15 years at the Quins. I think you started in 2005 with the Quinns. Uh, England, I think, oh nine to eighteen, I believe. So, nine years international as well. With all that experience coming over to the States, what are your expectations, firstly, for San Diego as a city and as a team? And then what are your expectations for yourself
3: in terms of contributing to the league and the team? Yeah, I think from a, a personal point of view, not not so much being like a, a a full-time coach, so to speak, but just helping these younger guys come through. A lot of, I um, thought from speaking to, not speaking to some people about kind of rugby in America, and this isn't everyone, but a lot of guys pick it up as almost a second sport where they haven't quite gone on to... I don't know, an NFL or something like that, and they may have come to the game a little bit later than, than what we do in this country, because, or a lot of countries where we're playing a game from five, six, I mean, as long as I can remember, I've been playing rugby. And you kind of develop those basic skills throughout time and all that kind of stuff. And it's about helping the team and helping the environment there with, with little things like that. Because I, speaking to Darren again, he says San Diego is one of the biggest, the biggest rugby areas in the country and in terms of grassroots level and all that kind of stuff. And and if you can grow that grassroots level and whether it's community coaches and all that kind of stuff, then that's going to have a huge knock on effect, obviously in some time to the to the league teams and the national side in, in due course.
0: And now personally for yourself, what are you looking forward to most about playing over into the States? Um, obviously getting to meet Pete Steinberg and myself has got to be number one. So coming in at number two, after that, have you looked? We can't much compete with that, can we? I know. I mean. I've
3: I've not seen I've not seen too much of it. I've I've seen kind of highlight wheels and, and stuff like that. And I've tried to look on like social media and see the teams, venues, all that kind of stuff. I love stadiums and kind of seeing where where we're travelling. Of course, it, it was that part of it as well. Travelling around the country, seeing some of these incredible cities, which again I, I've had the privilege to do around England for numerous years and. The odd time around Europe, here and there, with playing European rugby, and it's these European trips and these kind of trips are, are always great fun because you're playing cards with the boys, you're having fun, you you go out there, you play together, you kind of work together. Hopefully, you get a great win on the road, um, and then you have a couple of beers together, and it's that social aspect as well, which is which is so important in the game.
2: Sorry. I think I think one of the interesting things that's going to be different for you is the fact that the uh, um, the tr- is is the travel. So every game, except for probably the game in LA, right, is going to be jumping on a plane and going somewhere and staying overnight. And like you said, it's like a, a European like trip every every week. And with your experience, 15 years now, it's been 15 years all at Harlequins, right? So there's going to be a challenge for you. You're a one club player and this is going to be a different club but what do you want to bring to the legion team in terms of helping players understand what it's like to be a professional rugby player we've got you'll have guys that will be in their first year at most three or four years of professional rugby what do you want to bring and help the players on your on the team learn from you
3: yeah it is doing stuff like that as well and helping them in terms of that professional aspect i've been very lucky enough to like I said to be at the club for a huge amount of time, to be in the England setup, and and in doing that, I've got to work with some incredible coaches, incredible players. You're looking at world stage and seeing closely the leader lights of Owen Farrell, Maro, I told you these type of guys, how diligent they are with their kind of their training, their preparation, and I think with a lot of things, especially guys that go on that way, it's it's not something you kind of pick and choose. It's an everyday occurrence. You've got to turn up and make sure you're on, because if you train well, more often than not, and you push yourself in training, you generally get a kind of better effect on the weekend. Um, and it's also working, I've had the privilege of working with lots of Eddie, Stewart, Dean Richards, uh, Conor O'Shea, Guzzi, so many great coaches, and it's about helping them. Whether it's a little training drill here and there, how do they do a breakdown drill? And just bringing some of that knowledge and, and hopefully helping the side.
2: Now, you know, you, you said you wanted to come to Major League Rugby while you're still able to play good rugby and play for 80 minutes. At some point, you're going to be looking for life beyond rugby. Is this part of the plan? Is, is, is this a test of the US where you think you might want to stay? Or do you, and or do you see this as like part of the transition into sort of a player coach role and maybe being involved in rugby beyond your playing days?
3: Yeah, You know what? I'm, I'm honestly not sure at the moment. Uh, again, hopefully, look, we don't know what to expect in terms of if there are opportunities like that over there, or, don't, or we could be coming back to England. Who knows? We're very open-minded. Um, and I think that, that's the thing. is going over there with, or coming over to you guys, with, with complete open mind and kind of throwing yourself into anything. I mean, <laughs> one of the things we're most scared of is actually swimming in the sea in San Diego. And one of the, one of the mottos, I can't remember who was telling me, I was, I was doing an interview with one of the guys and I was saying, yeah, they were a little bit scared of sharks. Of course, I've done a lot of research in San Diego and they say, there's a a couple of great whites knocking about. And they say, well, as long as they're small on your board you're fine. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, if a, if a shark's bigger than your board, then you get out of the water and you get worried. But I was like, I'm a beginner. I'm going to have like a 20 foot surfboard. If it's bigger than that, I'm seriously scared. so it's it's going over there and it's doing stuff like that, stuff which, like I said, I've been in London my whole life. It's going over there and I'm sure it's a very different lifestyle um, where you can play good rugby. And, and look, if there are opportunities off the field, we'll very much be looking to explore stuff and, and enjoy it as well.
2: I will say that a couple of things about San Diego is one, it's the water's very cold. Like it's really, really cold there. Um, But it is. It's it's always sunny, and there are people that when it's raining don't drive because they don't want to drive in the rain. That's how how rarely it rains. (laughs) Very very like literally, they'll just wait until it stops raining and then they'll go driving because it's pretty rare that it rains that much. So it can be very very different experience, and it's hard to move away from there. I'll tell you that as someone who's done it.
3: Well, I think it rained here all weekend, and it's the middle of our summer, so. Yeah. It'd be a nice change. Yeah, you, you, you'll get accustomed to some very dry pitches
0: over here. It'd probably be a, a nice change of pace for you from the, the <laughs> yeah, wet well. in, the, in the spring over there. But uh, make sure you don't watch any Shark Week on the flight from London to San Diego. Don't want to get in your <laughs> head before you get off the plane. But when you do get off the plane, boots on the ground. Have you spoken to Scott Murray, Zach Tess about where they want you to play for the legion are you looking obviously you you've made your living in the back row you're looking at maybe eight you've got vera malure and wuching two really young talented flankers there do you think you offer more at eight or do you want to be on that flank again
3: yeah look, it, it, we had a, a brief chat with scott but that was more kind of what to expect um how it kind of works a week the schedules uh training what they're trying to do if there's any insight i can bring as well and again it, it's helping young guys like that as well helping young guys develop helping them and and it's something we do a lot here where, of course, you are train as a team and you do all your kind of forwards and backs plays. And then it's about doing little extras here and here and there. So then it's maybe taking the back row and do a five-minute breakdown drill or taking the back row and do some tackling or passing or line-up work, whatever it be. And I'm a massive believer of little and often. You don't have to be out there for another hour. It's just little skills here and often. And all those things, they add up, and hopefully they can make you a bit of an all-round and, and more rounded player and... From, from where I'm going to play and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm not sure, but it's about helping the side and playing where the side need you to play and, and fitting in with that role.
0: Well, I uh, I, I can speak for PM myself. We're both very excited to see you over here, mate, and uh, a calibre player that MLR certainly is looking to attract, not only on the field, but off the field, a high-character guy. So excited to see what you can do. I think a lot of people... Probably in the league upset you going to San Diego to add to the superstar power that they've had down there, but couldn't have picked a better city in my opinion to to give up the the drear of London for. So <laughs> enjoy the season, stay safe with the Queens for your final year there. Obviously soak that up, but uh, really excited to get you down here, mate, and excited to see what you can do
3: in Major League Rugby. Uh, thanks, mate. I'm uh, like I said, I'm very much looking forward to it, and look forward to meeting you guys when I get over there and and everyone else and. Everyone's been uh, very welcoming so far, um, and I think I've definitely seen a, a little bit of a difference between the English and the American media uh, in terms of the friendliness of it, uh, but that, that's, just, that's just how we do things over here, I think. Oh, They'll turn on you quick enough, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've no doubt. <laughs>
0: we'll, we'll get down to San Diego, I'll teach you some of those shark wrestling moves that Mick Fanning taught me back in the day, just a little, little left jab to the nose and she'll be good to go. All right, Chris, appreciate it, mate. Stay dry, stay warm, enjoy the season, and we will see you next season for 2021.
3: Absolute pleasure. Take care, guys.
0: There you have it. Chris Robshaw, and I'll go to you first here, Pete. As as you'd expect, a consummate professional, San Diego Legion and their fans, what can they expect from Robshaw in
2: 2021? Well, I mean, I'm not sure that American fans understand what a big star this guy is. I mean, England captain, you know, long-time uh, um, Harlequins uh, captain player. I mean, this is a real world-class player that's coming, and I'm excited not just to see him play, but to see his impact on players like Sam Wuching that he'll get to play in the back row for. I actually feel like, you know, if you, if you remember, um, uh, Stefan Armitage was supposed to go to uh, the Legion, I think, for season two. Um, and, you know, they weren't able to get that. I think a real world-class back row player like Rob Shaw, um, he's often called a six and a half. He can play six, seven, or eight across the back. Um, You know, I think the, uh, I I expect to see him maybe play some eight. Um, They've got some talented flankers there. So I think think that he's going to be great around the breakdown. I think that's where you're going to see him make the big impact um, and also getting those players around him to, to step up. I mean, this was always a good pack. And they've always done a good job of bringing in a stud that can raise the level. Um, And, you know, I think that they've done that again.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think he did a good job avoiding that question when I asked him. Does he see himself at eight with Wuching and Vera Malur there? So, uh, again, very good. Stacey, for you, you've interviewed some of the biggest names in MLR. You had Foden, uh, Ma Nonu. You've gone through them all. Can you tell a difference when you get that experienced player on the sideline and just a bit more polished than usual?
1: I, I truly believe that every gentleman that I've interviewed has done a terrific job for us when, when he's been on the air in terms of telling the difference. Yes, I can to a degree. And I think Ma Nanu is the perfect example of that. You know, he was not uh, taken care of, I would say in France as he should have been, you know, being a top tier player, being someone that brought so much to the game. So when he came to America, I think there was a part of him that was like, You know, am I gonna be, how am I gonna be received? What, am I safe? And how, what should I say? And I feel like when I first met him, he was a little bit guarded, but really quickly, uh, these guys learn what we're about at the MLR and what you're about and Pete's about and what I'm about individually. And they recognize we're on the same team. The only thing we wanna expose are all the amazing things that you're doing for the league and doing for your team. So I I see a certain guard coming down with with those gentlemen that have had such international success. And Ma's just a great uh, example of that because uh, I think he came here very guarded and for right reasons, you know, he just, he should have been loved on more uh, in previous experiences. And I'm glad that, that we get to love on him here.
0: Absolutely, and it's some of his former teammates who have made a big splash this week with uh, Jeremy Kano joining a host of other All Blacks in announcing uh, the submission of the bid in Hawaii, Pete. Major League Rugby in Hawaii.
2: Should I break out the SPF 50 or not just yet? Well, I mean, I think this is a really exciting development for the league. And I think that um, if this happens, and I think there's definitely an if, uh, I've certainly seen things um, online, uh, both from supporters and from the group, Um, in Hawaii themselves sort of almost assuming it's going to happen but there are some steps to go through and we've been down this road before Danny you know those of us that were around early on in MLR will um, remember LA Coast. LA Coast was supposedly the original LA team in Major League Rugby and they had a big launch and they had a logo and you know they they said hey we're going to be the LA Major League Rugby team but what what we didn't all know back then is that it's actually part of the expansion process. And so there's a number of steps that a team has to get through um, to be able to join MLR. And the first step they get, and this is what the Hawaiian team has been given, is that they actually get exclusive rights. They get 90 days of exclusive rights. So right now, the Hawaiian group, what they have is they have 90 days to be able to put everything in order to go to the board and be approved. Now. Going to the board and being approved is not that easy. It requires, I mean, I think probably four things. And, and some of this is some, you know, I've, I've reached out to some people in the league and I said, hey, can you, can you help me understand exactly where the Hawaiian group are? And, and, and yeah, here are the things that they have to do now. So the first thing they have to do is they have to show that they have the money. Um, they have to pay an expansion fee, which remember in Major League Rugby is really a membership fee, right? They're buying in to become members of the league. So they have to pay an expansion fee and then they have to demonstrate that they have the funds to be able to um, run the league for several years. Now, this is not small I mean, this is eight figures and it's not low eight figures, right? So, so generally, you know, I like to say like people that are rich can't afford it. It's people that are wealthy that can. Right. So so we haven't had any anything from any wealthy backers. It doesn't appear to be. And, and they may have someone and they might be one of staying in the background. That's fine. But the expansion fee is where many teams, you know, that get the uh, um, that, that get this 90 day window. I think Vegas was another one they had again, the window. I think the expansion fee is one. It's often one of the hardest. Another one of the hardest things to get is the stadium. And this is, I think, a bit of a learning is that now you have to really have a strong stadium plan. Early MLR teams didn't. <laughs> Right. And we saw that with, 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 with some of the plans that they have. Um, it looks like Hawaii has like sort of a temporary stadium plan in the short term with um, a long term plan as part of a major redevelopment of a, of a stadium in Honolulu. So, so if, if that can come to fruition and they can demonstrate those plans are, 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 um, are real and have the backing of the you know, various groups in um, Hawaii, then, then, then that's step two. Uh, they need a professional management group. It certainly feels like they've got people that have experience. They've got, um, you know, what, someone who's potentially the first female um, CEO of a professional rugby team. Uh, um, they have uh, some people that have worked in professional rugby on the administrative side. They've got um, coaches that have coached at the highest level. So I think that one is, um, is, is, seems to be one that I think they've probably already checked the box. And then the last one is they've got to have a business plan and, and the business plan is one that gets evaluated, right? So it's not have a business plan, but have a business plan that people can believe in. And, and then those things um, go towards, uh, go, go to the board, and then there's a vote, and, and it's not just a majority vote, there has to be a super majority. Um, I think everyone is it would be on board if they did all those things, I, I would guess, I don't know, I'm not, um, and I don't have any insight, in, insight to that. Um, I think everyone would love to have a Hawaiian team. I think there's some skepticism about both, um, like, you know, do they have the finances? Not for any, anything on the Hawaii side, but just we've seen it before. There's some skepticism on the um, on the stadium plan because we've heard a lot from the group, but not a lot from anyone in Hawaii, and and, and so and, and there might might be reasons for that. Um, and then there's, you know, the business plan in Hawaii is pretty tough. I mean, there's probably a reason why there's no um, major professional teams in Hawaii. It's because the business plan is uh, is 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 challenging. And so, you know, they need to get those things in order and then it goes to the board. So nothing, um, you know, nothing has really uh, happened except they've been given that 90 day window. And the other thing I would say, Dan, is that, you know, we've heard a lot about players and players that could come to Hawaii. And there's a lot of talk about Pacific Island players and this being a place where they can go. We have to recognize that, that we're currently in an environment where visas are pretty tough to get. Like we saw this, you know, every year there are some teams that that don't get visas. And to get a visa, it's not really the player that didn't make it, right? So it's not the guy that doesn't have the super rugby contract or didn't quite make it coming out of a, a, the Blues Academy. Those guys aren't going to get visas. To get a visa, you've got to demonstrate you've played at a really high level, so probably at a super rugby level. So, it might, so, so at the very least, they need a few caps with one of the super rugby teams. So it's going to be interesting to see especially if they want to do 2021, they're going to have to sprint to be able to get this team in place. And of course, all the players are centrally contracted. So no one, no one is really contracted with Hawaii. They're all contracted with the league and then assigned to Hawaii. So that's another step that they would have to go through. So it's pretty complex. I mean, I think it would be just, I mean, an amazing get from MLR. I think it opens up the, the Pacific um, in, in terms of business development and branding. Um, I think the group that's involved has already done a great job in terms of getting the word out. They're obviously well-connected, but you know, I'm going to, um, I'm not going to pop open the champagne until I see, um, I see, you know, a little bit more of some of the requirements. And then of course, having the board actually sign off on it. Okay. Was that, enough? was that enough information? That was, that was good. <laughs> that's good. And I almost wonder if, you know, there's that huge
0: affinity to the Polynesian culture in the islands, which Hawaii is a part of, but I think, Maybe they forgot it's actually part of the United States. So you do need a visa if you're going to live and work in Hawaii. So Stacey. Yes, sir. Your thoughts. Just uh, quickly. Hawaii obviously would be great to go over yeah. there. But,
1: yeah. Uh, and, I, and I have family there. So that would be really great as well. I have family on Eva Beach. Are they
0: the wealthy backers?
1: I wish they were. Oh, yes. I thought I had a exclusive. <laughs> I know. I wish they were, and I wish I could be a CEO. When Pete said that, my my eyes sparkled a little bit because that would definitely be a dream as well to to run a team um, in any league for me. Personally, I would love to run a team. Um, but yeah, I would love to see it happen in Hawaii. And thanks, Pete, for uh, uh, for sharing all that information. It's not as easy as saying, hey, we're going to make a bid. We'd be a great place for a team. Let's get some money, and here we go. It's It's certainly more... Um, challenging than than just a couple of moves. There's a lot of moving parts there.
2: Yeah, and and, and you know, Stacey, um, uh, you know, I talk to a lot of people within the league, a lot of teams. Um, there's a number of groups out there that are looking to get um, be involved in the expansion of Major League Rugby. There's teams in the Midwest. Um, there's the constant chatter of a group in Vancouver. Because it has such a strong rugby community, so there's there are a lot of people that looking that are looking to get into Major League Rugby. Um, the reason they haven't got in yet is it's not that easy to do, um, and I think the two biggest challenges are, um, are actually demonstrating you have the money, right? That 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 really means it's relatively liquid, right? Or or you, or you can make it liquid. You have access to it, and then the second thing is the stadium. And and I think the teams that I or the groups that I've talked to that are now looking. At expansion are actually doing it around a stadium deal right so there's some development happening they're building some sports complex and they're basically saying hey can we add rugby to the sports complex and because we have that stadium now we can be an MLR franchise I think the stadium seems to be the biggest thing again we've seen that with teams around the league as they look to upgrade like NOLA looking to make an upgrade like a lot of these teams are, 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 are now Trying to solve the stadium problem as they go, and it's not always that easy.
0: Come on, you three, you two don't want to come back to Archbishop High School in New Orleans after a bit of torrential downpour.
2: <laughs> at least
1: the people <laughs> people are lovely. The people are what keep us coming back. That's for sure. Yeah,
2: and, what they, what and, and, they and, and to be fair, I I I think what Nola have now at the at the baseball stadium is going to be absolutely top notch. And I think that's exactly the sort of um, uh, I think. You know, that's I- exactly the sort of uh, um, space that people need to move into. Because even in San Diego, they have a beautiful... Like, we've been there, and I think, you know, Dan, maybe this is a good segue. Like, like we've had some amazing experiences at, at that stadium at the University of San Diego. It's the perfect size. Like, it's, it's just... It, it, you know, the sight lines aren't great because it's a football stadium, so that makes it a little bit harder. But it's a really beautiful stadium. The pitch is amazing. Um, but it's really expensive to rent. Like, like, uh, you know, even if you put six thousand people into that stadium, you're not making a lot of money. Houston have it right, and this is true for professional rugby around the world. You see it wherever in in the Premiership. You have to own your own stadium for professional rugby to be viable because you want to get parking, you want to get beer sales, you want to get concessions you want to keep all of that stuff and that's what makes it viable that's why what houston have done i think is really amazing and that's why teams now are are centering or potential expansing teams are centering their application around um having that stadium ready
0: like it stacy are you ready i'm ready this is like this is my version of this is your life except i've got no guests coming on we didn't have the budget um
1: (laughs) wait i'm not getting paid for this (laughs) Just
0: kidding. Oh, I got some Steinberg bucks coming your way. Aaron,
1: Aaron Castro promised me a sandwich. Aaron promised me a sandwich. So I'll take him up on that. I
2: thing. can get you a sandwich. I mean, you're in. The, the Philippe's is Philippe's is the best beef dip sandwich
1: in LA. Oh, okay. I'll have to see if they're open since things are shutting down again, unfortunately. But uh, when the things are open and I'm in LA. Done and done. I'm done. Done and I'm done. And done.
0: Three years, done done. never been offered a sandwich once. Stacey Pates on for like three <laughs> minutes, gets a sandwich.
1: Sister's oh well. Sister's got to eat.
0: Sister's got to eat. <laughs> and uh, in, in the metaphorical sense, that's exactly what you've done with Major League Rugby. You've eaten it all up. You've taken in the knowledge, you've taken in uh, all the action. You started as uh, somewhat of a rugby novice in year one, but as the league has grown, so too has Stacey Pates. And now we find ourselves uh, basically entrenched. Uh, you are one of the faces of the league now. The players love you. The coaching staffs love you. The fans love you. Mm-hmm. Let's hear a little bit about the journey of Stacey Page pre-MLR before we jump into Major League Rugby. How did you get into broadcasting and what was the pathway before MLR looking like for you?
1: I don't want to skip an opportunity just on the heels of what you said. And thank you for that. Um, my feelings are mutual toward all the players, coaches, and fans to be so, to be so welcomed into a world that I hadn't been part of before has, has been such a, a wonderful part of the journey. So to give you the short version, when I was 15 years old, I saw Chris Berman on ESPN sports center. And I looked at my mom and I said, Hey mom, that's what I'm going to do. Cause there were no women doing it. And Chris Berman was everything. And she looked at me, she's like, all right, babe, do whatever you got to do to get there, you know, and just work hard and make it happen and and go to school and, you know, get that degree and whatever it looks like to make that happen. And that's what I did. And the first step after I went to college was uh, to do my internship early. And I did it for a company that was a production house for all the big networks. And that's all that they did. ESPN, CBS, NBC, um, all the bit Fox, all the big networks. Uh, they had a couple of Olympics under their belt, and that was just in Indianapolis near my hometown. And much to the chagrin of my university, because they never want you to do it a year early, because their thought is do it the last thing in your senior year, hopefully turn it into a job. My thinking was different. Mom said I could do this, so we're going to go fast track this baby. So I was 18 years old doing this internship and... Um, I found myself on ESPN2 by the time I was barely 19 and from there I started traveling with the NFL and I was behind the scenes at first always knew what I wanted to do on camera and reporting and hosting but traveled with the NFL for two seasons and when you saw the clock and score and down in yards and flag and timeout that was me I did the mini board operating for two years with the NFL Met one of my mentors through that, Fred Godelli, who is the um, producer at NBC now for their uh, NFL Game of the Week. I mean, he's big time. And he started in the mailroom at ESPN. So anything can happen. Um, Through that journey, I hosted my own show on ESPN. Uh, It was a high school sports show. And then I went on to uh, join the ranks of the NBA. I hosted pregame, halftime, postgame. Uh, and sideline reporting for the NBA and I was the youngest person and the only female um, during the first part of those years to, to hold all those positions at one time and then when my contract with the NBA was over my brother was living in Los Angeles he says hey you love the beach and the sun come on out and I love my brother so that was an easy sell and moved out here and yeah just kind of worked on some some random things here and there some NBA for TNT and TBS and uh, next thing I know I'm covering rugby for the first time in my career. I'd covered everything from fencing to auto racing, um, everything except rugby. And my first taste of it changed my life. It really did. And my family is in love with the game and I just can't get enough of um, just learning about it and soaking it in. There's so many things about the sport to love. And I know I've said this many times, and if it gets old too bad, you're going to have to keep hearing it. I love, I love the people. I love how the players are with each other. It is a legitimate brotherhood. And I was talking to my friend, uh, one of my friends today who played in the NFL, and we were just comparing and contrasting the two leagues, and, and there was no way he would have a beer with his opponents after a game the way we see in, in MLR and in rugby in general. It's one of my favorite parts, favorite aspects of of the rugby culture.
0: All right, we're going to put you on the spot here because we're going to jump back to year okay. one. <laughs> okay. It was, it, was a, it was a year of learning for everyone, right? First year, yeah. like technically the second year of pro rugby, but we won't talk about it, the first year because that guy was a dunk. Yeah, you were
2: the only one involved in the first year of pro rugby, right, pretty much. So
0: everyone's coming in fresh. For the, for the three of us, the year culminates. We're part of the team that calls the first ever professional rugby championship in America on CBS Sports. Talk us through, that day, Seattle versus Glendale, Torero Stadium. You, you were the professional in the group. like You'd done all the big stuff before. How hard was it dragging us three rookies along with you and just saying, <laughs> just follow me, boys. We'll get this done. How was the day and the build-up for you for that game?
1: Oh, man. I, I get as nervous about calling games as I did as an athlete. And to me that, that just reiterates and affirms that I'm doing the right thing because it's what I love and what I want to do at a high level. I was just so, I could feel the energy, it was palpable. Um, the fans, the players, just everything on the line, it was so special, it was historical, it was all the things. And I prepared for it just as I would any other big event um, but just the, the energy of it was, was unlike anything I felt probably since um, covering some college football at a high level when the stadium's completely packed out and you can barely hear yourself think. There's just a certain energy in the air that's, that's just it's challenging to put words to, and you would think I would have those words since, since that's what I do for a living, but it is, it is tough to put those words together sometimes. It's just it's a feeling that uh is it, you can't describe it
2: go
0: pete i won't stand on your toes this time
2: well well i mean so so i was i uh, you know when dan said hey we're gonna reflect on season one about 20 minutes ago or well, 20 minutes before the podcast i was like <laughs> what that was sort of like i'm like um so, so a couple of things that stand out for me. And, and so the first thing is, remember, we weren't sure where the final was going to be until like right. very late at the last minute. So I think we got about 3,000 people out and San Diego wasn't playing. So yeah. it was Glendale versus um, Seattle. Yeah. And so that was one of the things that was sort of like the, I wouldn't say it was a scramble, but it was definitely like one of those one of those challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed working with, um, with uh, um, Dan um, and Stacey and, of course, Brian Hightower, who was the uh, fourth member of the group. We had a three-man booth, and that was really good. And what I remember about this game, and this is sort of like the coach in me, was the frustration that I felt for um, for Glendale. Like, they came in, and in the first year of Major League Rugby, they were definitely the biggest fish in the pond. And they had basically been professional for a number of years. They had had, in that previous Um, incarnation of professional rugby, they basically had a team, right? I mean, it was Colorado, but it was basically Glendale. And so the expectation was that they were going to beat this scrappy coachless, right? Or player coach, Phil Mack was the player coach. Remember, their coach couldn't get a visa. Um, Seattle team that had survived basically on a big scrum and good defense. And and that they were going to get found out. But the frustration of the game for... um, for Glendale was exactly what had always hurt them, which was handling errors in the final twenty-two. They had lots of opportunities to be able to score. They end up turning the ball over a lot, not taking the opportunities, which had been a big issue, and, and penalties. And so I remember in that game, the frustration mm-hmm. of, um, of of Glendale, kind of as I was looking at the game they were trying to play as a coach. Yeah. But then I also saw. As a coach, the mental toughness and stubbornness of a Seattle team that just weren't gonna they lose were, like, yeah, like if they like, were if, not going like away. after after the game, you were like, of course, like going into the game, you're like, there's no way Seattle have this. They've kind mm-hmm. of been like, they're a good team, but they're pretty limited in how they do it. And after the game, you felt like it was inevitable. Of course they were gonna win. Like they like they just they just had a mental toughness that were just like you yeah, they were gonna it was just it was just the weirdest thing. And Dan, I'll tell you that the the biggest memory I have is of Stacey Pates at the end of the game when Seattle is like partying and celebrating. And remember for almost all of those players, like they've never been on live TV. This is live TV, right? And we have to do a ceremony and the, 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 shield was 80 pounds is that what it was it was yeah. like 80 yeah. pounds yeah and and stacy trying to corral the players and the owners and i mean Stacey and did a remarkable job. and the commissioner it was nuts right after that and I, yeah. I think i remember dan you me and brian being like like how's stacy gonna do this like like and we literally like because we could hear in the ears we could hear the producer talking to stacy like stacy get them get this and she's like but Stacy did it like when you're at home, it looked like the way it was supposed to look, but it was a bit of like, you know, like I call the duck, it's floating quietly along the top. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I
1: was, I was paddling like crazy. Um, going, going back to what you were saying, Pete, that was something else. That was a story I told in game in terms of the, the differences between the approaches, right? Like Glendale came in and they've got their, their chest puffed out and they're ready because they, they know they got this. They've got the experience. They've got the history. They, they've got a coach and Seattle was just there, and they were so loose. And I remember telling the story uh, early in the game about how I observed pregame warmups and how loose Seattle was, and how regimented. I mean, obviously, a, a Dave-led uh, team there is going to be very regimented with Colorado, and with Dave Williams and just the looseness and Villy's big hair and his smiles and just all the good things. Like the energy coming from them was just such a looseness. And there's something to be said about a looseness alongside preparation. And they were able to bring that together. And I think it really caught Glendale off guard to the point where they just couldn't recover and the right team won.
0: Yeah. They played hey, Dan, the tag your... really well, didn't they? Seattle. Yeah. I don't think that's why that was so loose. Cause yeah. My, my, Obviously, the Stacey one to this day cracks me up because uh, the, the <laughs> queen I think, of the can cat Can you find herders. that
2: online?
1: Like, like, Absolutely. Like, we put
0: I'm that sure in... it's still there. Yeah. We've got to find the clip. It
1: right? has to be. Yeah. The
0: best part, and then this is what the, the viewers at home didn't get, is we have our amazing producer, Kimberly Higgs, in our ear screaming the, the, the fireworks go the pyrotechnics go grab them get the camera no get over there get here there's champagne going everywhere the commissioner dean houses like terrified his suit's gonna get <laughs> champagne stacy's just grabbing anyone she can just pull it get in get we need to be here and we need to be in front of this camera for all this to happen and it was uh it was great but i do i do remember it full time and i think there's actually a photo out there you can go find the agony and ecstasy of sports. There's Zach Fenoglio down on the ground and it's the look of a man who has... Two just,
2: tries he scored.
0: Two tries he scored in that game. But it's just slipped away, right? Like the opportunity, right. like rugby's a weird game. For 80 minutes, you feel like you're always in the fight until the whistle goes and then it's like, yeah. man. And in the background, I think it's Villy, Matt Turner and Ricard Hadding from memory and the ecstasy of like no one thought we could but we did and it was just such an amazing moment and i don't think i really sunk in for me i don't know about you guys but like the magnitude of what we'd actually pulled off like how big of an occasion this was for rugby here until we were at dinner afterwards and we went to that bar together and we're all kind of sitting down and it was like wow you know no one will ever have a first we were the first to ever do it there's never going to be another first and it's it was just very special and Especially to share it with like yourself and you know stacy and, Stacey and, and yeah. uh, Brian Kimberly, we had such yeah. a great team and such, it was a great such team. by the end of that year, there was such a great harmony amongst the team. I really felt like you know it was such a big moment it was really really was like an honor to have it with that yeah too, so. yeah, it yeah was. i mean I,
2: I, I, so the, so so the first year of major league rugby like i I was the least experienced um, like a uh, commentator TV person, right? I hadn't really done much before and I felt very blessed to be able to come in and work with both of you and Brian who like have a huge amount of experience and 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 like I learned a lot during that season about how to manage myself because it's very different than being a coach on the sidelines. Um, first of all, it's a lot less nerve wracking. So people would think, oh, you're going to be on TV and you've got to like, and, and I'm like, no, no, no. Being nerve, like, Having nerves is being the coach, right? You want to be stressed. Imagine being held accountable for a result where you pretty much have nothing, like, like you have no control over, right? Yeah. By the time you get to game day, like it was stressed. So, so I, I, I certainly didn't feel stress or, or my nerves weren't great, but I did get a sense for me, like it's almost like, Dan, you'll remember this as a player. I felt like all the games are really fast. Like I felt like the games were over before I like I would start and the games would be over. And I remember in particular, Dan, like we were all sitting down having dinner after the final. And I remember like like stopping and being like, Oh, it's over. Yeah. Like that's it.
1: Yeah. Like like, not only is the
2: final over, but the season's over. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's it. Like
2: like And back and,
1: and back to live television, you know, just as Dan was saying, there's so much that you couldn't see part of a skill set in live tv is knowing when things are not going right they're not going the way you rehearsed people aren't where they're meant to be at the time they were meant to be there i remember too there were uh, there was confetti that went off that was not supposed to go off until we handed seattle the shield and it went off it went off during a commercial break and i hear kimberly in my ear going "Ah!" She said some stuff I'm not going to say right now, but she's such a professional and and she, she had everything timed out and knew exactly how it was going to be. And they pulled the trigger too soon. So we just, but we can't show that on the air. We can't talk about it on the air because people at home are going to get what they see. They're going to take from the energy that we give them. So no matter what happens in live TV, you just got to keep going and keep your energy up too, no matter what's happening.
0: It's changed the way that I think all of us watch sports too. if I'm watching NFL, and something happens, I can just, I'm like, oh, imagine the truck right now. Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah I do not know. know but bef- That's true. Before, you didn't yeah. even notice any of this stuff, but now it's like every time, some, just a little camera doesn't follow the ball properly or it blips the wrong way and you're like, oh, bad cut. They're going to yeah. be he's in trouble. You know, they're going to oh, be yelling.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It ruins oh, sport. It ruins watching sport. It does. It
1: does, Nick. Yeah,
0: it does. (laughs) I could talk about this all day, but we have to move on. We're going to go around the ground, Stacey. We're going to go do some signings. And there's been plenty of signings. Uh, I believe the cutoff date for signing existing MLL players is coming up. may have actually been yesterday. So there'll be some news coming out about players changing here in the next couple of weeks. And we'll be on top of that for you. But let's go over signings. I'll read them off real quickly. Obviously, the big one was Cam Dodson coming out of the draft, Pete. A lot of rumors circulated close to the actual draft day that he was not eligible, but it revolved more around a visa issue rather than an eligibility issue. He ends up in Austin with the Gronies. Good pickup, Grand Canyon, big lock, Englishman. I think they get a good player there in Cam
2: Dodson. Thoughts? Yeah, I think that's right. I think, I think that they've got um, a, a good player. I think, I think some of those rumors may have scared some people off. I was... He was definitely, I think, um, on the boards of initially of some teams and uh, um, a, a good pick up by Austin. It's great to see Austin picking up, um, uh, you know, one of the college players coming through.
0: Yeah, we'll stay in Texas because there's a bunch of uh, signings for the Dallas Jackals, new team. Uh, another stop, so we're going to have to find a restaurant in Dallas now, Stacy. Yes, uh,
1: we will.
0: Chad Goff and Kalipi Fafita come out of Colorado. So some more Raptors players finding homes. They'll join Chad London, I believe. Cody O'Neill has two announced players down there with more to come. Uh, Mun Jin Ho, the scrum half. He's a Dallas local. I believe he's also played sevens for South Korea. Uh, and uh, Wiyong Konradi, who is an international player, I believe, for Namibia, Pete? Am I-, I, think, I think that's
2: right. I think that's yep.
0: right. And then Nick Hildebrand comes down from Canada. He will go to the Houston Sabercats down there. Anyone jump out on that list for you, mate?
2: Well, there's also... Um, uh, Carlo DeNoyon, right? That also was picked up. By, that was today. Um, yep. That was Very today well. by uh, by by Dallas, and so that's part of the expansion draft. So Dallas and LA got a chance to um, uh, um, had first opportunity. Is probably the best way to put it to sign players from Colorado. I mean, I think Chad Goff, like he's a bit undersized as a hooker, but that's one dynamic play. If you want to play a wide open game, I think um, yeah, you know, do we all remember his ninety meter try against uh, Utah? In Utah, like, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was good. I mean, this, this guy can play. He is a four, he's a sevens player. Um, I think Fafida's is another good pickup. Um, uh, D'Neistin is interesting. Um, I think he's a good player. I don't think he's fully filled his potential yet. So it'll be interesting to see what, what he can do in Dallas. And it's great to see some of the, um, you know, Dallas looking to pick up some players. This, um, uh, so with Jin Ho coming from um, the Harlequins, I think, you know, Dallas does have a strong rugby background. I think we'll, we you know, we should expect to see, you know, probably once you get past like number 30 in the squad, there'll be a lot of players that are um, on associate contracts that are, that are Dallas community players. Um, and I think it's one of the good things about the, uh, um, the, the Dallas team is they've got a good Dallas, they've got a good rugby community to build from.
0: Yeah. The Queens and the Reds have been there for quite a while. So that's very true. Pete, some uh, more signings up North, uh, Gaston Cortez goes from Argentina. They are loving their South American players up
2: there. Another one so, goes to Toronto. So, so I, I, yeah, I have a like, so I think there's a lot of recruiting that's happening with the South Americans, the Uruguayans and Argentinians, Argentinian players in Toronto that go there. And there's a little bit of a concern. Is it really cold? But I think they enjoy it so much. I mean, Toronto's such a cosmopolitan city that you can come from anywhere and You'll be able to get your mate tea. You'll be able to get your empanadas, right? There's going to be a place in Toronto. So I actually think there's a lot of recruitment going on by the Argentinians and the Uruguayans that are in the, that are in the Toronto team, bringing, Toronto play, uh, bringing players to Toronto. So and I think this is the last that we're going to see. I think the Jaguars, um, you know, and the fact that they're not in Super Rugby, we'll see more Argentinians coming to Major League Rugby, but also coming to Toronto.
0: Nice. And then some re-signings. They've got a couple other players there as well. They've been really good on social media, Pete, about getting those signings out. Uh, Johannes Garecki, he stays in rugby ACL, Roderick Waters, Laurent White in Austin. Cellini, uh, Cole Keith, and Gaston Mirres, another one of our South American players. He stays up in Toronto. Nick Feeks and Ignacio Nacho Adotti will stay in New Orleans there. So some good re-signings. In the, in that list, anyone that uh, you're hoping to re-sign, Stacey? Who's the who's your favorite player to interview so far? That's tough. Uh, I'll put you on I, the spot on that I one. I know
1: that's really tough because we are surrounded by talented, wonderful humans. But I'm going to make you jealous and say Brad Tucker. Oh, oh how ho, dare ho, you. Ho,
2: how you! Well, like stabbing. Sick. Response. Took sixty-three
0: shows to get on. <laughs> I'll see you episode one hundred
2: and twenty-six. I, I, I know. I mean, I mean, I mean. Isn't there? Isn't there something like? Isn't it nice that that like someone else is loving on your bromance? I mean, like, like is not that? <laughs> I'm trying I to protect like
1: Brad. I'm actually trying to protect Brad. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: yeah, the, the rumor is that him and Stacy have a code. He'll blink three times yes. in an interview if he feels in trouble. That's right. That's right. Endangered. From the- <laughs> you
1: know, do, we, a- do we, do we have time for me to share a couple of stories?
0: Absolutely. Share oh my gosh.
1: Okay. So let me tell you guys, shifting away from your, your bromance of, of Brad Tucker. Um, I love how petite the world is overall. And, and for me personally, the sports world seeing, how many people come back together and all the the few degrees of separation if you will so I'm at a dinner party in Venice last week talking to a couple people only six of us there because we had to keep it small due to our restrictions but this gentleman pulls out his phone he's like yeah I heard you talking about rugby do you know this guy shows me a picture who he's following on Instagram who he met like the year before Eric Duchelle
0: the beast. Right, the beast. <laughs> yeah. So that
1: was that was a crazy turn of events I did not even expect. Here's the best one, though. Pete, did you coach Alicia Washington? I did. Okay. So Alicia, Pete, you didn't do this match. Uh, we were in D.C. It was uh, Dan and myself were, were yep. calling this game, and Alicia was on with us during the broadcast. Yeah. Past- that might have been one of our last games before. It was quarantine. the last one. Oh!
2: So, so, so let's okay. Tell your story. Okay. Okay.
1: This is a great story. Okay, so Alicia, she's awesome. Love her. Have a great conversation with her. We start following each other on Instagram, and I get a text message from one of my best friends who who covers the Jets. I've known her for years. We've been in the business together for a, a long time. She's married to uh, Scott Burrell, who played with Jordan at the Bulls. If you watch The Last Dance, Jordan picked on Scott Burrell a whole bunch during The Last <laughs> Dance. That's one of my best friend's husbands, who is Alicia's cousin. What? Does the world get any smaller? It was so crazy.
2: So, so a shout out to Alicia and Love to um, Christine Summer who are both eagles they both went to the 2017 world cup that um when when i was the head coach and to help to support the women they've launched something called the yes. 15 foundation i think yes. that's probably what alicia it was is. talking about yep. so it's 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 a great um vehicle run by the women players to support the women's players so um anyone who's got like it's a hundred i think it's a um this year you get a hundred percent tax deduction for a donation so if you've got a a few extra dollars um, like sitting in your wallet that you want to donate. I'd encourage you to give it to um, the 15 foundation. We all know that USA rugby struggling for money and we want to be able to support those women, especially with the world cup happening next year. So, yeah. um, and so Alicia and Christine did that on their own. And, the, yeah. and that's exactly the sort of people that they are.
1: Absolutely. And I donated straight away. As soon as we went off the air, I, I donated because I, I gave her my word that I would. And even more importantly, it's it's like you said, I mean, they're just such a tremendous group of women that work so hard and represent our country at the highest level, not just on the field, but off. And they deserve to be supported.
2: And, and, and okay. Dan, I think one of the great things about having Stacey on the podcast is that she gives us an insight into how rugby is seen by the non-rugby person. So, so that's really how Major League Rugby is going to be successful, is we need more people to go on the journey that Stacey has mm-hmm. gone on, which is being exposed to rugby. And there are some values that I think are inherent in the game. Right, that create a um, an experience that someone has that is different than any other professional sports in the states. Like, there are very you know what in other professional sports, you know, where can you run on the field and go and talk to one of the players, right? Where where are one of the players in the bar that you can go and chat to? Like, there's something about this, and I remember um, I I had a um, a friend of mine who ended up being part of a sponsorship. Um, of the USA Australia game that was in Chicago a few years ago and he brought all of his salespeople in and they brought clients and they were just blown away by the access but not just the access but how open and engaging rugby players are like they grow up in this environment and I think you know that's a lesson that we have to learn we we look past it in the rugby community we don't see it as being special but, but that piece is going to be the bit that I think differentiates Major League Rugby from other sports. And I think that's the bit that we need to get in front of new fans.
1: Mm-hmm. Agreed. Well, Patsy? Yes, sir.
0: That's Hopefully me. that journey is only just getting started for you. Yes. We're so excited for you to come back next year and maybe go to Hawaii. <gasps> I've
1: Even already nice. got a grass skirt, so let's do yeah. that.
0: Your LA's in your backyard, so that'll be the home game for you. You can yep. drive for that one.
1: And then uh, Dallas, yep. we're
0: flying to. Yep. Real quickly before you go, this is for both of you here. I'll give you one more, and then we've got to go. The producer's okay. winding me up. Favorite field to call a game? And then, favorite moment in the first three years that you've had, or funniest
2: moment that you've had? Pete, I'm going
1: to give it to you
2: first. So. Um, people that know me well know that, like, I have a very that my memory stick in my head is very small, <laughs> and that I wipe things. So, like, I don't remember the games. Like, I don't remember Eagle games that I coached. Like, it's 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 one of those things. But um, do you want me to buy you some time because a-
0: I've actually thought about it.
2: Yeah, well, no, of course, you've thought about it. This is the question. This is exactly what happened, Stacey, that Dan's <laughs> loaded question. And then and, and the completely jumps, jumps on. No, I'm not going to let you go first because okay. then you get to call the game. So I, I will actually say that probably, um, you know, I, I, love the, I love the San Diego pitch. I think I, I love that when, when the crowd's rocking. I think the, um, my favorite moment is, um, is, the, is the semifinal um, in in year two between San Diego and New York, where oh, what a game! Um, what a was, game that was! It was it was an amazing game. It was it was a great coaching game. Um, there was a bounce of the ball right at the second half in the far corner that bounced into the hands of the San Diego player, so they could score. Um, JP
0: Duplessis,
2: yeah, JP Duplessis. It and was Peterson I mean, with the kick. It, and, and and there was a moment in in that where, where you saw it, where you were just like, wow, that's like, I mean, I mean you want to say that's history that's like this is this is what this is what's going to sell the game to america so i remember after that game being like like just like just excited exhausted was caught up in the game the whole game it was an amazing game looking at the crowd it was almost a sellout like five and a half thousand people were there and i'm like this can like it was a moment i guess it was the real revelation that i had that major league rugby could really make it if, if this is what the 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 game can be and I I guess that's one of my favorite moments.
1: I love ahead, all Stacey. of that. I love uh, all of that. And I also, I, I also appreciate how you said, Pete, that you wipe things. I have a tendency to do that with my brain as well. So I'm glad I'm not the only one. But you have kids. You have an excuse. I do not. Have an excuse. <laughs> um, my, my, I will always have an affinity for Torero Stadium because that was the first ever match that I called in, in rugby in April of 2018 in, in year one. So I will always have an affinity for Torero my favorite stadium in terms of overall just beauty and everything has to be Utah has to be Zion. I mean, yeah, it's it's just so beautiful. And then I would have to say, I mean, there's so many great memories and fun memories. Um, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, just with the two of you and, and with everyone at at the MLR and with Aaron, I, I just have, an extension of a family, and that really is is so special to me, and um, I, I love that. If I had to pick uh, something within a game, though, it would also have to be my very first match that I called at Torero. It was uh, San Diego hosted Houston, and I saw my first ever drop goal in my first ever uh, rugby match, and that was uh, Kalinasau. It was so cool.
0: What's going on? What yeah. are they doing?
1: Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. great. <laughs>
0: All right, you two, Southern California. You know. <laughs> I'm going Starfire. She said Fire. Utah. I, hold it, hold it. She said, said Utah. She said it was beautiful.
1: It, but, but she did I'm,
0: love Torero too.
1: Torrero, I have affinity for Torero, but if I had to pick a favorite overall stadium, it's Utah.
0: Utah. I'm going to go Starfire. I think there is, like uh, I think you mentioned, Stacey, there's a feeling
2: mm-hmm. when
0: you get to Starfire and that place is so loud and that old stand, the big metal stand, it vibrates. And and obviously it's had – some success in the first two years so it's helped to that as well best moment uh hands down and i don't think you were with us stacy for this one you may have been actually calling a game with pete steinberg in the courtyard about 300 yards away from the field because there's so much rain in new orleans i was absolutely there
1: i was absolutely there you guys were by the pool Were we were by
0: the pool. We were, the were the by the coming pool. There were people coming to the game late, walking past us, <laughs> asking us for directions. And we're like live on TV. Yes. Calling you a game. Is this the way to the game? And we're like them <laughs> <killing laughs> away. And the best, we had this little delay where we could actually hear the crowd. before All we came on our monitors so we could kind of anticipate something happening. That <laughs> yeah. was uh, that was the opposite of Pete's yeah. moment after the same right? <laughs> That was kind of like... This is television, huh? This
2: is what it's That's all. That's right. About. That's live
1: TV, and <laughs> and no one at home could tell. That's what makes you pros. No one at home could tell. That's what matters. I'll tell uh, you. I'll tell you the
2: reason why yeah. I didn't have Starfire, and and this is this is like getting really technical because I love the atmosphere there. I agree with you. It's a great atmosphere, and I think um, Seattle will do an amazing job. Like like it's just everything about their game day experience is great. The reason why it's not one of my favorite games to. to to call, which is, I think, what your question was, is because the cameras are on the far side of the field, which means that we can't say right and left because right and left that we're seeing when I'm looking at it live, and and the way I work, yeah, is it it, it works out. So, and the way I work oh, yeah. is I watch the game live because I want to see the whole field. So as much as I can, this is what actually what was hard about. Doing that game in, in New Orleans was that we couldn't see the whole field. I want to watch the whole game so I can see the shape of the teams and like I can read the game better if I'm not looking at the um at the at the monitor. But then you have to go to the monitor when there's a replay, and so or or actually in Starfire when there's a play in the corner, right? You're sort of like <laughs> looking around. So um but when you go to the so so i actually find that quite difficult so i love everything like if you said to me as a fan where would i want to go i would want to go to a sold out starfire yeah. but as someone a commentator calling the game it, it's 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 hard to do in that stadium for me yeah. that, well that was a little peek behind the curtain for, for <laughs> everyone <laughs> we love it can Aaron just like cut out the last like, I've had a great time. I'm just not sure how interested anyone else is going to be.
0: Well, two out of the three they'll be interested in. I won't tell you which one they won't be.
1: Okay. Oh, I've missed this so much. Oh, my god! All
0: right. Well, we do have to wrap it up. It won't take 63 to get you back on, Stacey. I'm sure we'll have you on again well and truly before that. It's always a pleasure. Never a chore with both of you. Uh, It has left a big hole in my heart this year, not getting to see you both every weekend all over this beautiful country, calling the beautiful game that is rugby. That wraps up the show. Stacey Pates for Pete Steinberg, our producer, Aaron Castro. I'm Dan Powell. This is the MLR Kickoff.